Well, I'll have what I like to call good news to share with you uh, on today concerning the life of Foundation Church and where I believe that God is taking us. And uh, I just want to say that we have been meeting here uh, now in Moncure Elementary School for several years now. And uh, since we've been here, uh, we have really been blessed. I cannot uh, tell you of the manifold blessings that has come of us being here in the school. Primarily the staff, the principal, everybody, they have really been very flexible. Uh, God has given us a lot of favor here in the school. And so we're very, very grateful. But for some who may not know and realize, uh, Moncure Elementary School will be relocating. They're going to be relocating down, if you know where Juggins Road is, it's actually down, back, I guess, behind me, about a mile down the road. They're going to be building the brand new Moncure Elementary School. And, uh, and that is slated to be open, I believe, and I spoke to the principal. He said sometime in 2019, they're not really sure if it's going to be the spring. They're not sure if it's going to be the fall. So, um, but you know how these building projects are, you know, you, you just never really know. It all depends on the weather, so many different factors. But in either uh, way, uh, this will impact our church. And as I said before, we have been, God has really provided for us each step of the way in our journey and trying to reach uh, souls and change lives. And I have no doubt that God will continue to do that. And so as a, as a consequence of that, what we are going to be doing is uh, this month, uh, we are going to be launching uh, our capital campaign. And our capital campaign will be called Arise and Build. Arise and Build. So we'll be launching that campaign officially on our anniversary service day. Our anniversary will begin, will happen uh, service will happen on, I believe, September 17th. Am I right about that? September 17th. So you want to make sure that you're here because we're going to have some really, really important information. And so next week we will have a business meeting. You heard uh, Brother Ray uh, talk about that uh, just a little while ago. The meeting next week will actually go into detail about the amount of money that we need to raise within the scope of a year because our, our, our desire is, is that sometime in 19, 2019, that we ourselves uh, have our own place to lease. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise for that. So we're trying to, so we're trying to, we're going to start a capital campaign to lease our own facility. And there are so many benefits from that. The obvious one is that uh, you won't have to worry about set up and tear down. And I know some of the brothers and sisters said amen to that. And so, uh, look at that. Oh, man, the youth don't clap as much. That's amazing. Uh, but, uh, but, but anyhow, uh, so that's what we're going to be doing. So next week, we will actually go into some details. We'll answer some questions. So you want to be here next week for that meeting. So uh, whether you are, attend here on a regular basis, whether you're a member, we want you at that meeting because uh, you will have an opportunity to participate in what God is doing. So on the heels of all of that, and so this is going to be a big month for us, um, we're starting a series today entitled Arise and Build. Now, if you have never read the book of Nehemiah, it's an incredible book because it really focuses on a man, Nehemiah, that the Jews had been taken into captivity uh, by the Babylonians. And this gentleman, Nehemiah, was a cupbearer to the king. 
So Nehemiah had the responsibility, or at least we're going to discover that uh, he became burdened with a desire to go back because Jerusalem had been taken siege and the walls had been torn all down. So his so he became burdened to want to go back and rebuild the walls. And so what we'll be doing for the uh, duration of this month, we will be extrapolating some principles. And, and, and really, this if, if, if you love leadership, uh, Nehemiah is a good book. If you consider yourself a leader in the kingdom, you just want to know how to lead people, how to mobilize people, how to plan, how to strategize. Nehemiah is just an incredible, amazing book. I mean, I could actually preach out of Nehemiah for a year. It is that rich with, uh, with the leadership nuggets and truths. And so we're going to be looking at a man who started with nothing more than a burden. He just had a burden. He felt this thing because of his people that were in shambles. And he decided to mobilize people and they was able to do what many thought was impossible. How many know that God can do some big things with some people that got big faith? Y'all, listen, listen to me. It don't take a whole lot of people to do what God needs to get done. It never has. Because everything, see, God wants everything to be done in such a way that he always get all the glory. And that, and that we would never get the big head and think, look what we did. But so it's always about God. It's always about what he can do in and through us. And so today I'm going to title my message, The Call and the Burden to Build. The Call and the Burden to Build. Right before I go into some of the truths of Nehemiah, I want to talk just a little bit uh, about the church. And I kind of alluded to some of this last week, but I want to kind of capitalize on some things as it relates to the church, our responsibility to build upon it and to support it. So I want to talk about the importance of the church in the community. As many of you know, um, there has been, and we've talked an awful lot about it this morning, some huge events that has happened, mainly the flood that has happened in Houston. And, uh, and a lot of churches has come together. They've mobilized in that community to try to bring some relief. And, and they're doing so not only by meeting physical needs, but also preaching and sharing the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Because we believe that life comes when people come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we, you, you begin to see, but when you look over at Houston, the importance of the church. The church is a, a, a very, very important institution. And the church, now we understand as the people of God, the Bible says that we are the church, meaning that we are living stones. The church is not made of brick and mortar. Y'all understand that we are the living stone. The brick and mortar serves as a uh, it, it really serves as, as as a as a witness. And it's a place where we come to gather. It's a tool, if you will, that will allow us the the um, the, the ability to be able to reach people. So that's that's all the that really when you think about a rise and build capital campaign. It's not so much, and you got to think about it this way, because if you think about it any other way, you miss the whole point. It's not about brick and mortar. It's about reaching people, building people, leading people, feeding people, loving people with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not about it's not just about throwing money at a building It's about people. And I want you to understand that. And so the church, then we understand, becomes a very, very powerful force. The church is powerful when it walks when it talks, 
when it, when it, uh, when it uh, sync itself up with Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says that I'm going away. And he says, now, I'm, I'm, I'm going away, but I'm going to give you a comforter. And that comforter, the Holy Spirit, will be with us. And why is the Holy Spirit with us? So then we can walk like Jesus did when he was on the earth. The church should be and is a microcosm of everything that Jesus was when he was here. We are supposed to represent him. So the church is, is powerful, and I want you to understand this. And I want you to understand that when we talk about sowing into the church or sowing into the kingdom, you're sowing into lives, and this will last throughout eternity. So it's the most important thing that we could be involved in. So first of all, we understand, I'll make a couple of comments about the church, because I want you to really catch this. First of all, everybody understand and know that Jesus built the church. Jesus says that I will build my church. And this is Matthew 16, 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we understand that the church is built, originated, and is sustained by Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who, who orchestrated the church. The Bible says that, that we're the bride of Christ. We're his church. We belong to him. We sung that song this morning. And this is not, contrary to what people think, no man builds a church. No man really builds a church. All we do is we come along and, see, we can't lay a foundation other than that which has already been laid. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone. So all we can do at best is to help build upon what Jesus has already established and support it. Because we support it. Why? Because Jesus says it's his church. And how many of you love Jesus? Amen. So if you love Jesus, then you got to love his church. Got to love his people. This is what it's all about. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I want you to understand something because this is so very, very important. Because... I'm not going to name names because I don't think it would be appropriate, but there's a large church in Houston that is drawing some controversy because there was some, uh, at least there's a rumor at, at best that the church did not uh, open its doors uh, quick enough to serve that community. Now, I know Christians, right, because within Christianity, within our circles, I always say this, that the Christians have a knack for shooting their wounded. We just do. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it is something that we have just grown accustomed to. So sometimes, you know, a church is kind of, you know, we, 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 we pit one against the other. This one is not doctrinally this. This one is not that. They're not, and we begin to criticize. Here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. I don't know fully what happened there in Houston with that situation. But here's what I do know, that the Bible says that, that, that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So what does that tell me? I know that Satan is going to do everything he can to divide the church. He's going to do everything that he can to discredit the church. So you be careful because you got to understand that what happens there in Houston with Christians has a reflection on you. Because you call yourself a Christian and so are they. They may not do it exactly like you would do it. They may not say it exactly like we would say it. I get all of that. But, but sometimes... The church, we rejoice sometimes too quickly when we see we're quick to want to point the finger and not realizing that when we're pointing this way, there are three that are pointing back at us. Right. And so what we forget is that, that Satan wants to discredit the church. All he wants. And, and watch this. How many know Satan 
If you don't, if you don't realize it, it maybe I need, maybe this is a red alert to some some folks. But 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 people don't are beginning not to like Christians in this country. The Christianity, the institution itself, that the whole the the system, the media, they are anti-Christian. If you don't, if you don't realize that, you don't, don't let, just start listening. Anything that has to do with Christ, and so watch anything that puts the church in a negative light, they pounce on it. We got to be careful. Now we got to stick with truth. Don't don't. I'm not saying we're to compromise truth. Never we're to do that. But we must understand that, that there's a demonic force that is behind the scenes that want to discredit everything that God is trying to do with His people. How many know God's people are all broke in some way? And it's just the reality. Nobody got a monopoly on all the truth. I know there are some folk who think they do. Nobody has a monopoly on all the truth. So even the best of us, we miss it sometimes if we're really honest with ourselves. And so we got to be careful. So Jesus said, I built my church. So we got to defend the church of Jesus Christ. We got to defend it. We got to help to maintain its integrity. We must do that. Number two, Jesus is the head of a church. Ephesians 1, says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So Jesus set the agenda for the church. As the head of a church, Jesus has the authority to mobilize his people as he chooses. He's the head of the church. And watch this. This is another important point. Number three, the church is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. In other words, this is Ephesians 3.10, a wonderful verse. Now, hear this verse. It's so important. It says in verse number 10 in Ephesians chapter 3, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, watch this, might be made known by the church. There it is. To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So watch this. The church has the responsibility to make known the will and the nature of God. It is the responsibility of the church to preach Jesus Christ. It's not the responsibility of the government. It's not the responsibility of the Congress. It's not the responsibility of of the president. The responsibility to preach the manifold wisdom of God is the church. So we are that vehicle. God has ordained that we represent him in the earth. We are that institution, the church, that is a rep. So every church that sits on a corner, every church that is erected, every church building, you understand, that is there, that is under the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ, represents Christ. And that church has the responsibility to communicate all things concerning God through his son, Jesus Christ. So where's, 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 where's people going to get the message about God? How are people going to find out how, God, how much God loves them? How are people going to discover who God is? How is it? It is through the church. The church is that vehicle that expresses, that show forth who God is in the earth. The church, we are. So here's the question, or, or here's the statement. If we don't, who will? You follow me? Who will? If we don't, if we don't step into that void, because never should it ever be said that the church uh, don't have any answers. Never should be said that we're without hope 
because we have hope. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Uh, the church represents hope. The church represents deliverance. The church represents salvation. So if men want to learn about salvation. They want to learn about deliverance. They want to learn about righteousness. It all comes through the church. That's the way God ordained it. So you understand that this church, how important we are in the earth and in the community. I want us to understand that. The church is like Paul or Timothy. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses, verse 15. He says the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now watch. That means that swindling or crooks, thieves, deception, all of those things need not be named among the church. The church should be seen. Listen to me. Listen very carefully to me. If you listen, say amen. I really want you to listen to this. Listen to me. The church in a, in a, in a, in a world that is full of deception, that is full of crooks, that are full of lies, that are full of deception, the church needs to be seen as an institution where people can find truth. Do you all hear me? The Bible says the church is the pillar. Watch this. The pillar and ground of the truth. So that means that the church is the foundation of truth. And so when people really want to discover truth, they ought to be able to come to the church. See? So the church cannot be seen as swindlers. We can't be seen as lying. We can't be seen as, as, as being, uh, because how many know it, it, it hurts our witness? Every church Every pastor, every church, every pastor, every leader that fails, how many know that it's a bad mark on Christianity in general? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So we got to encourage each other. We got to understand the, the power and the significance of the church. So let me go back to what I said earlier with regard to all of this. Um, our Arise and Build capital campaign is not about brick and mortar. It is about everything I just said here. It's about a message that we're trying to reach people. You're called here. You're called to be a part. Every, every Christian is called to participate. Watch this. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me say it another way. Every Christian is called to support and to see to it that God's house and his church is functioning well and healthy. Every one of us. That's our responsibility. Because how I many know God didn't make you an island unto yourself? He made, he said, we're the body. Everybody say body. body. Everybody say relationships. relationships. I don't like people. Get over it. Get delivered. Get saved. You got to like people. You got to love people. You got to change. You got to stop it. Stop the nonsense. Look at the neighbor and say, stop the nonsense. You got to love people. Because we are in the people business. It's what we do. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Good people, bad people, hard people, uh, challenging people. It doesn't matter. We're in the people business. Jesus loves them, and the church is about people. A rise and build capital campaign is about people. So I'm, I'm going to refer to a verse, and you can write this verse down. I may read a little bit because I don't have a whole lot of time, so I want to. In Haggai chapter number 1, verses 2 through 11, I may read a couple of verses there. So Haggai was a prophet during uh, Ezra's time, and uh, 
they had, uh, they, you know, Israel had been, uh, the nation of Jerusalem had been basically decimated, uh, you know, all because of, you know, what they had done and violated the word of God and the things of God. And, and so part of that uh, annihilation, at least the desecration was the temple was destroyed. So Ezra uh, was uh, kind of a leading priest that went back to Jerusalem and they were kind of a rebuilding the temple. And so Haggai was a, a, a prophet in those days. And so Haggai had the responsibility of prophesying to the people about the temple. Right? He says God's temple now is in ruins. So they, they, they go back there to start rebuilding the temple. Now, they, they started, but then at some point, they, 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 just, they just start working on God's, on the temple, and they started focusing on their own stuff. In other words, they, started focusing, they, they, they had nice, beautiful houses themselves, but they were neglecting the temple. Now, let me help you understand this. The temple or the church or the structure is a representation of who God is. It's the place where the people of God, they come to worship. It's the place where people come to get trained, to get equipped, to be fed, to learn, to be taught. All, that's, what, that's what that represents. So watch this. So I'm going to read a couple of verses. Thus says the Lord. This is Haggai chapter number 1, verses 2 through 11. Uh, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. So they were saying to themselves, it was like, look, right now, it ain't time to build God's house. Right now, it's time to hook up, hook my, you know, take care of myself. You know, I got, I got bills to pay. I got I to take care of my, y'all, y'all hear what I'm saying? Did that sound familiar? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I ain't going to get too many amens on that, but y'all know I'm telling the truth. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, is it time? Now, here the, the prophet now. The prophet said, is it time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses? In other words, your beautiful, nice, brick, wonderful house. He said, is it time for you to dwell in house and this temple to lie in ruins? He said, so you're telling me it, it's not time to build my house, but it's, it's time to build yours. How many know, the, how many know God wants us to be what? Kingdom minded first. Seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be added. How many know God is, this is a spiritual principle that dates way back to the Old Testament. God always wants us to put him first. Everybody say, put God first. Putting God first positions us so that we can be effective in all areas of life. He says now, in verse number six, he says, he says, uh, right before verse six, verse five, he says, now for that says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much. Mm, You have, I'm sorry. Consider your ways. You have so much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. Oh, watch it now. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. <laughs> wow. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earned wages, earned wages and put it into a bag with holes. Oh, good God. Say, Lord, have mercy. Come on. Say, Lord, have mercy. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple. Watch. So God God, listen to what God was saying. He was saying, look, all this, the reason why you're, you're, you're struggling, he says, look, go get some wood and build my house. Go and build. Watch, watch here's what he says. He's talking to the head guy, the prophet, is talking to the people. He said, go up to the mountain, bring wood in verse 8, the temple that I may, he said, that I may take pleasure in you and in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And you brought it home, and I blew it away. How many you know you're in a bad place when God starts blowing away your stuff? Yeah. That's a, because my house that is in ruins, why every one of you, of, of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withhold its fruit. For I, 
I call for a drought on the land and the mountains and on the grain and on the new wine and, and the oil and whatever ground, whatever the ground brings forth on men, on livestock and on all the labor of your hand. In other words, God is, God is reminding them of something that's very significant and important. He's saying God is first reminding them that I'm the source of everything you got. And he's saying and it's like God is saying you have forgotten. That, that, that since I'm the source of everything you got, then you need to make sure that what's important to me is being taken care of. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying here? This was a challenge. He said, so y'all, he said, y'all, y'all, God didn't have a problem with them giving attention to their house. He had a problem with them giving attention to that and neglecting his. See, and so in today's vernacular, the house, it, it represents, it, you know, for us, it's our church. You know, this is a church. How many know that churches exist, churches, buildings, they exist because of the people that invest into the kingdom of God. Lives are changed. You are here because somebody is investing something. Somebody is seeing to it that there's a place where the people of God can come, they can gather, they can worship Jesus and all of that. So God was reminding them. And he said, and watch this, the blessings started to dry up because they had neglected the things that mattered to God. Let me know that no matter where you go, whether you stay in Stafford County or whether you move in California or Seattle or whether you go to another country, how many know the same God that is here is the same God wherever you go, the same Jesus, the same Lord. And wherever you are, you ought to make sure. And I'm, I'm saying this to you because I have, listen, I have no dog in the fight in this sense because I lived this way for years and I'm telling you that whatever you do, Always, wherever God leads you, find a place and support the church. It's your responsibility to do so. Every Christian is called to do it because as long as there are churches and community, there, there's, there's, there's a, sign, a, a sign of hope, a sign of deliverance, a sign of joy, a sign of salvation, a place where people can come and they can be healed, where they can gather, they can find love. Every building, every church represents Jesus Christ in the earth. And you got to support it. Everybody has that responsibility. Take care of your own stuff, but not at the expense of neglecting what's really important. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So let's look at Nehemiah. So we got to, you know, I'm only going to take a few minutes to do this. I want to be able to stop before 12, right at 12, somewhere in there. So the nation of Israel was taken captive by the Babylonians for their disobedience. We kind of already established that. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He had the responsibility of um, tasting the wine and making sure that the king wasn't poisoned. Uh, so you know what that means. So if there was poison in the cup, who, who died first? Come on. Uh, so cupbearers are no joke, man. Cupbearers are serious about their job. You had to be. It could be life or death, literally for you. So Nehemiah had heard, obviously, I and mean, he was a cupbearer, but he always, you know, he, was, he wanted to check on his people, right? Man, my people, the Jews, my brothers and my sisters, my nation, my family, man, you know, he, he's always, he, he was there thinking about them. He was asking questions. What, what's going on with the captivity? What's, what's happened to the folks who were over there? So he always was kind of concerned about it. And so he asked the king. He does a big thing here. He goes to before the king, and I'll explain here in a moment. He goes for the king, before the king, and he asks for permission to go back to Jerusalem, watch this, to rebuild the walls. Because, see, the walls was, watch this, y'all, y'all listen, say amen. The walls are more than brick and mortar. They represented something much more than that. Y'all, y'all get me? So, so he said, we need to go back and rebuild the walls. 
Now watch. So what can we learn from Nehemiah? What are some lessons we can learn? First, the first lesson is that Nehemiah cared about the condition of his people and the city. Everybody say he cared. And Nehemiah chapter 1, look at the chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1, and th- verse number 1 down, verse number 3. Uh, the, word of Lord, the words of Nehemiah, the son of uh, Hakaiah, uh, it came to pass in the Mount of Chizveth in the 20th year as I was in Shusan, uh, the citadel. Whew. Number two, then Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men and from Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem is also broken down. And its gates are burned with fire. Look at that shirt. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept. And I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So we see that this was no, no, no small task. Because watch this. How many know Nehemiah could have sit there you know, because, you know, if you're serving the king, you got pretty good living quarters for the most part. You know, he could have been like, you know what? I'm fine. You know, I'm serving the king. You know, my job is to taste the stuff, you know, and make sure the king is safe. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I got, I'm all I'm good. But how many know he wasn't he wasn't like that? See, Nehemiah was concerned about his people. How many know? that we as the church need to have a burden and we need to be concerned about the people of this city. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? When is the last time you wept? Listen to me. Are you still listening? Say amen. When is the last time you wept and cried for somebody who don't know Jesus? A loved one, a family member, a friend that you have. When's the last time you sit back and you mourn and say, Lord, God, Lord, please save them. Has there even been a time when there's been a burden on your heart? Are you burdened that way to say, Lord, save them? See, Nehemiah, he cared. He was like, gosh, man, this city is broken down. These people are in shambles. He, how many know that God wants us to care about the people of this city? It's not okay to just simply look at people and say, I'll pray for you. How many know we got to do more? We got to put feet to our faith, the faith to our feet. We need to go out and we need to reach them and we cannot be content. There can never be a sense of contentment, but always something behind the scenes that is driving us to want to preach and to share the gospel of this, this, this good news that we have. So we are called to care for the spiritual condition, just like Nehemiah was. He cared. We can learn from Nehemiah that he was a man of compassion. He was a man who wasn't selfish. He wasn't, you know, we can't have an attitude, well, I'm going to heaven, I'm good. It has to be more, you have to be concerned with just, you have to be concerned with, with more than just you going to heaven. It's not okay if you're just going to heaven. Paul said, Paul said, I wish that I was a curse. And, be, and Paul said, I wish that I was cursed and condemned to hell. But if, if my people could get into heaven, he had so much concern for the people. He said, I wish myself a curse. That's how much he cared. All of us should have a burden to reach broken people. All of us. 
to have that burden. If, if you're sitting here today, you say, Pastor, I don't have that burden. Then, then perhaps you're feeding yourself with the wrong stuff. We need, how many know that we need to get back to what's really, what really matters to God? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, church? We need to get back to what, what, what matters to God. It needs to, listen, it needs to break our hearts when people don't have a relationship with him. Nehemiah was broken. He said, oh, gosh. And he was broken to the point where he didn't sit and observe. He was broken to the point where he said, I'm going to go do something about it. There's a time to pray, time to believe and all of that. But how many know it's also a time to work and get up and get busy? I always say that the church, we have so much word that, that we're like a fat tick. You ever seen a dog with a, a big old, I'm from the country. Brother, you might know what I'm talking about. The dog with them big old ticks, they get a tick, they tick them in second blood for so long, the thing turned big and fat and gray. And just hanging there, you know, just being a new, you know, the church, I believe we got so much word, we like that, that, that tick. Just, just we, 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 got, we got enough word, we don't exercise it enough. And how many know when you don't exercise that which is meant to be a blessing to you becomes a curse to you? How many know that you, you, your body was meant to exercise? And the more you exercise, the more you move your body, the more it becomes a blessing to you. Am I right about it? You eat right. It, it becomes, because God wants you to be blessed. But watch this. But people want to be blessed and still eat the chocolate cake at midnight. I'm just saying. I'm just using some language that you can understand. We, we want, we, in, other, in other words, we want to absorb ourselves of the responsibility to do anything about it. Nehemiah said, I, I, I'm going to do something about this. He said, he didn't just sit back and say, how are they doing over there? Are they all right? Man, I, I, I hope God, I hope the Lord bless them. I, I, I hope, when, 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 when the Bible says that, 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 that if you have it within your power, that you can help and you don't do it, he said, what good is your faith? Okay. So Nehemiah, he prayed and he fasted and he mourned. And watch this. And Nehemiah now, he, he's going to put himself in a predicament here. He is going, he is going to go to prayer. He's going to go to God because he understands that if I'm going to talk to God, all right, if, if I'm, I'm sorry, if I'm going to, to do anything of significance for God, I'm going to need God's help. He knew this. How many know that we all need God's help? If we're going to, if we're going to purchase our own place, how many know we're all going to need God's help? And well, what is the first thing you do when you need God's help? You get on your knees and you pray. You talk to him. You call out. Nehemiah got on his knees and he fasted and he prayed and he mourned. And he said, Lord, and at the end of his prayer, you should read his prayer. I believe his prayer, you will find Nehemiah's prayer, I believe, um, in chapter one. I'm not going to read it, but he goes over. He, he, he basically calls the people to repent. And he said, you know, God, we, we take responsibility for the things that they didn't do. And, and then at the end of his prayer, he basically asked God, he says, I need favor to go before the king. Because Nehemiah said, I'm not going to stay here in, this, in, in Persia. He said, I'm not gonna, he said, I'm going home. I'm going home. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I mean, it, the, the mountain looked huge, but I'm going home. And, but one way I can get home, one way I can do it, the king got to give me favor. So we, 
One of the things we see about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah demonstrated courage. Everybody see courage. He sacrificed and he demonstrated courage. Look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 1 and 3. Nehemiah chapter 2. Look at it. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King uh, you know what that means. When wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Now watch this. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Watch this. So I became dreadfully afraid. You know why I became afraid? Because you're not supposed to come cupbearer. You can't come before the king with a sad face. See, the king wants to be happy. You're bringing him wine, right? The king wants to be So you, you could not come before the king with a sad face, a sad face. They couldn't do that. So he got afraid. When the king said to him, the king looked at him and said, why are you coming here like that? This is nothing but sorrow heart. And, and, and he got afraid. He was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, watch. And he, and, and he said to the king, may the king live forever. In other words, he's like, oh, have mercy on me, king. That's basically what he's saying. I'm translating. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb lies waste and his gates are burned with fire. Now, I want you to understand something that is significant here because Nehemiah is about to ask something that, will, that, could, that could land him dead. Number one, he's come before the king with a sad counsel. Number two, he's going to ask the king to give him permission to go back and rebuild the walls that the king had a hand in tearing down in the first place. Y'all see this, right? So he's going to, he, he's going to, how many know that took some courage? But what he did was, he said, you know, I'm going to talk to God. Nehemiah was so burdened. He was so concerned. He said, I'm going to ask God for favor. And he was like Esther. Boy, if they take me, they take me. But I'm going. I got, hey, I mean, how many know that if we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, there got to be some folk that have some courage to pray and believe God and to walk in a situation where it appears difficult. And, 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 and how many know that Nehemiah, he demonstrated sacrifice. He was, willing to, he was willing to die for it. He believed in it so much. Can I ask you a question? Are you willing to die for God's agenda to be pushed in the earth? Are you willing to die for your faith? I'm just asking you a question. Are you willing? What are you willing to sacrifice? What courage are you demonstrating? For many of us, our courage today compared to the courage they had to exude is quite different. We ask for courage to say, guys, we're going to, God, we, 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 need, we, we, need, we need to, God, God, we need resources to, to build. And some of us will, will get faith and we'll say, God, I'm going to believe God. God, I don't know where I'm going to come up with this, so I'm going to pledge this amount of money. And God, and I'm going to ask you for it, man, I'm going to walk in faith and I'm going to believe God that you're going to provide it for me. How many know that's courage? How I many know oftentimes when God wants us to do, when God wants to do something, I don't know of any church, and I know a whole lot of them, churches, y'all can think of mega churches, big churches. I can, hear, I can tell you right now, and you've all heard it because you hear people say sometimes, man, all the preachers do is care about money. How I many of you have heard that statement? Come on, somebody. You know, and, 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 and there are some preachers who are like that. I, I get it. But, you know, a lot of it is, I'm just being honest, a lot of it is the preacher got to beg because the people of God won't step up. That's the truth. They don't want. They don't. They, they don't. They don't want to do it. They don't want to sacrifice because in order for me to sacrifice that, what I'm trying to ask you: How important are the souls of men to you? What are you willing to give? 
What are you willing to do? So the men of God and the women of God, they got to stand and beg the church. I mean, we got to raise y'all. I know we, we, we jump in this. We got to do this. Oh, man, every time I turn around and talk about, well, make it so that he don't have to talk about money. Make it so they don't have to preach. Make it so that they don't even have to take an offering. Make it so that all you need to do is set baskets at the door. And when you walk in, you sow into God. Nobody have to ask you because if you understand that you're called to do it. Should not have to be that we have to come up here every week. We have to talk to you because if we don't, we know, man, it's like, man, we won't get it. I'm not, I mean, anybody, see, I can say this with a lot of confidence and boldness because people that know me know me. I am not about money. They know, they, they know if you know me, so I can, I'm free when I'm talking to you here today. There's nothing about me that's scheming. I am not, a, I'm about God's work in his kingdom. And so when I come to you and I ask, I'm asking, you can believe that we ain't doing no hocus pocus funny stuff around here. I can assure you that. But we need to do things in such a way that we need to sacrifice. Like Nehemiah, he was, I'm, he, Nehemiah said, I'm going to sacrifice my life. I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice my time. My energy, I'm going to take some time out of my schedule. I'm going to, I'm going to, my whole life is going to be interrupted because those people mean that much to me. How much do people mean to you in Jesus' name? Nehemiah, oh boy. Nehemiah was granted his request. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 4 and 8, look at verse 4 and 8. Then the king said to me, what do you request? Now, at this point, he's probably, he's probably happy that his head didn't get chopped off, right? He's probably sitting there, he's probably thinking, praise the Lord, I still got life. And the king said, what do you want? Tell me, boy, what's your request? He said, so, so look, before he answered, it says, he said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Before he answered, he prayed again. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, can't not, you, can, you can never not have enough prayer. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, and the queen also sitting beside him, look at this church. How long will your journey be? And when, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set a, him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the regions beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asphat, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give the, me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Why was Nehemiah granted his request? It's very simple. And I believe it's a lesson that we all can learn. Because what mattered to God mattered to Nehemiah. That's why. How many know that if more, the more we line ourselves up with the will of God, Nehemiah wasn't. Y'all remember Solomon? What did Solomon ask for? You know, God, God came. First of all, God came to Solomon in a dream at night. So, and God showed up. God says, here's what God said. Now, you got the God who owns it all, right? The, God, the creator of heaven and earth. Shows up at nighttime. So shows up and says, hey, ask me what you want and I'll give it to you. I wonder what y'all, what, what, come on, what do you want to say? If God came to me and said, what do you want? Just, just tell, me, tell me, what do you want? And I'll give it to you. What would you say? See? 
Because you're talking now about the God that owns it all. Ask what you will. I'll give it to you. You know what he said? He said, I just need wisdom so I can take care of your people. And you know what God said to Solomon? He said, ha, 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 ha. He said, oh, boy. He said, see, Solomon hit something then, boy. He said, now, Solomon, he said this. He said, now, now, now because you didn't ask for riches, he said, I'm going to make you the rich. And he didn't even ask for it. I'm going to make you the richest man that ever lived. And then not only that, I'm going to make you the wisest man that ever lived. And you would have, we were, listen, the stuff that you didn't ask for, I'm going to give it to you. Why did it happen? Because, because Solomon cared about what God cared about. And, and listen, and why will you be blessed and I be blessed? Because we care about what God cares about. The more we identify with God, the more we align ourselves to be, y'all hear what I'm saying, church? The more we align ourselves to be blessed. And finally, Nehemiah, he challenged the people to arise and build. He challenged the people. Come on up, brother. He challenged the people to arise and be. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 and 20. Look at this. This is Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lying waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and I also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, here it is. This is our theme. Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But then Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, Jeshurun, the Arab, heard of it. They laughed at us, despised us. Look at verse 20. So I answered them and I said to them, the God of heaven will prosper us. How many know that the God of heaven will prosper us if we go in faith? If we're willing to sacrifice and have some courage to do what seems to be impossible. He said, the God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no inheritance or right or memorial in Jerusalem. You see, as I said before, we talk about our campaign, Arise and Build. It's not about brick and mortar. See, for Israel, the walls represented protection. The walls represented salvation. The walls was a representation of their God. The walls was a place of hope. How many know that the church serves as a place of hope, serves as a place of deliverance, serves as a place of salvation? That's what this is all about. Nehemiah, he challenged the people. He said, look, he, he first he showed them a vision. He said, I want you to go. Come with me. He couldn't tell everybody right away because not everybody, how many know you can't tell everybody what God is doing because not everybody is ready for it. Be careful who you talk to. Tell us who's free. So Nehemiah, he said, look, take a look. He, he, he took the people and he said, take a look. He said, now look, let us arise and build something that will bridge this gap. Let us do something significant that, 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 that will help the homeless, that will feed the poor, that will care for the sick. Let us do something. He showed them that vision and then he challenged. He said, let's Let's not talk about it no more. 
The time for talk is over. He said, let's arise and build. 2019 is our goal to be leasing our own facility. We'll talk next week about how much money at our meeting, we're not going to talk about that in the sermon, how much money we're going to raise in order to do that. But I, here's what my, my hope is, that, that you will begin to, that God will open your eyes and that you will see this, this spiritual condition of our city. 